0: Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come way downside. Don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk
0: Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, I own the blood. I swear I can't get Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Did you know that money can make a good day a nightmare? And you know, guys, it just happens that way. If anyone is surprised that money can cause conflicts in a marriage, you haven't been married very long. According to a survey of 1,622 couples in 2018 by Fidelity Investments, 67% of those interviewed admit they argue regularly about money. Greg, that doesn't happen in your house, right? Nope. Okay. And 46% agree that it's their biggest relationship challenge. How do you solve that problem or those problems? Maybe you have a different money style than your spouse. I know in our house, we do, you know. One of us spends and the other one saves. Now, we'll let it go from there. We won't have to get into the details, but this often leads to friction. Well, my guest today is Rob Clement and Jason Harrington, and they're going to help us solve some of these issues concerning money and marriage. Also, we're going to get into the the discussion with them about the cost and benefit of working with a financial professional, the value proposition. And how to decide, is it the best thing to do? Well, that's what they're going to help us make the decision to do. From our Did You Know Files, with the recent uh, jobs report making the news, this information may be helpful if you're trying to evaluate the economy. The Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Department of Labor stated that the number of job openings as of November of 2019 and was ended up with 6.8 million job openings. That's down... 561,000 from the prior month. That's the third largest month-over-month decline since 2000, and that's December of 2000. That's a long time ago. 42% of those people that want to go new jobs, there's 2.6 million new jobs that were created nationally. Well, that's the 42% of those are found in Texas, California, and Florida. Here's a statistic that I'm very proud of. I really think it's good for the country. The Census Bureau says that as of As of recently, as of December of last year, 5.31 million new households in the last three years, that's 96%, were owner households, while only 4% were renter households. And that's the American dream. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com to find today's program or a podcast of past programs. Go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial and be sure to like us on Facebook. Coming up, Rob Clement, Jason Harrington, Money and Marriage. What questions do you ask when you work with a financial planner? That's the second half of the program. You need to listen to those questions. They're important and you need to know what is the important questions and why. So bottom line is it's cost and benefit. You're listening to The Voice, KWI-FM, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. I don't know. The tongue's a little tied this morning. We'll get it untied before we come back. (laughs) It's Monday. Uh, It's not Monday. It's Wednesday. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
1: Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this.
0: Jim Shoemaker Rob Clement and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Inc. Securities Dealer Member FNIRA SIPC. Shoemaker
2: Financial is independently owned and operated.
1: And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, you know, I think I've gotten the—I think I've gotten the tongue untied. Maybe, maybe not. It's Wednesday. What can I say? And so, hey, we're just having a wonderful time. Glad you're with us. Glad you decided to join us this morning. We're talking about money and marriage. And the reality is that partners sometimes need to work together to make money and manage <laughs> the money and manage it together and talk about. It. In fact, as I said earlier, that the reading that fidelity investments where they did the survey of 1,622 couples, it said that they, who are the concerned ones? Well, the millennials, 72% are concerned about money, and they don't do a very good job of discussing it. Well, you'd think, okay, Generation X, 64%. Guess what, baby boomers? You and millennials fall right in the same category. 72% say we're concerned And we argue frequently about it. And that's the day's program. Why do we argue so much about money and how does it affect our marriage? My guest today, Rob Clement, Jason Harrington. We're going to dive into this question. And I tell you, I'm excited about what we're going to find out. We're going to find out from these two guys that, you know, believing that money, things can just be conquered with love. Okay, guys, I got a question. Welcome to the program, Rob, Jason. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Good to be
2: here. Good to be here and good to have you here. Let me ask you this. Literally, the reality is that everybody says we're getting married, the millennials, it's all love. Everybody's doing great. Does money conquer that? I mean, does love conquer money problems? Is that what you find, Rob, in your practice? What what goes on?
3: Well, first of all, that sounds great. It does sound it great. does sound great. I mean, particularly with Valentine's Day coming up, <laughs> you know, we, we're all about love. But romantic love does not help conquer. Your money woes. So there's some issues that you want to start off with, and that first issue is making sure we have a clear understanding of what are the woes within the family, and how do we overcome those particular woes? And uh, and that's an early conversation with many couples is to help them understand that it's great to be in love, but how do you manage your money? Because most people come from two different
4: backgrounds. Yeah, I, I see, Rob. You see where it, there's a, an element of anxiety to talk about. Like it's okay to have some money concerns and it's okay to share that with your spouse. I yeah. mean, I think that's what creates some of this. Well, we'll just love each other and everything will work out because there's a little bit of fear. If I tell my wife that I'm nervous, that she's now going to be nervous. Or if she tells me that right. you know, she's concerned, then I'm going to think poorly about her.
2: Well, the, you know, the, the word is transparency. And right. a lot of times transparency doesn't happen in the money side of things because, as I said earlier, some save, some are spenders. And, and I've had cases where I've had to work with couples where, you know, maybe one of the spouses is just a spender, and they really don't want to communicate with the other spouse what they're spending and how much they're spending. I mean, I had one that actually put money and, you know, put things into a closet and made sure that no one knew that we're there. Or have and, private and accounts remember, no, yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. So all right, guys, let me let me just do this. Now, we say love conquers all. We've said kind of that's a myth. We do have to do some things. Let's talk about hard work and a commitment of both partners, Rob. I know that's wow. the thing. You can't toss it across the room and say, You take care of it, you do it. It takes both people working together. That's right.
3: And and there's three verbs that uh, often I, th- I hear used in our, on our side of the desk as we're talking to couples, and those three verbs are have, do, and be. When we end up chatting with a couple and we begin to ask, what do you want to have, what do you want to do, and what do you want to be? And it helps them get further clarity about money because those have, do's, and be's are all about how you're going to handle your money as a couple. And so that's an important conversation to have, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jim. I think, too, the element of I
4: heard someone say one time that it's not about my spouse coming to my side of the table and and just following what I say, but it's about both of us you know, a little bit of me giving toward her and a little bit of her giving toward me. And that's how you get clarity and communication. Jason, I
2: think that's critical because I know to have a peaceful relationship in a marriage, when you're talking about money, and I've seen this over the years, it's talking about shared values and an appreciation of the other partner. Right. In other words, understanding, you know, the partner is diverse. They're, you get married and this can go whether you're newly married or you've been married forty years, because things change. When my wife and I first got married, I've said this multiple times on the show, and Greg hears it all the time. He says, "Okay, that I've heard that more than once." I take the nickel when we got married; it had a buffalo on it. I could squeeze the buffalo till it sat down. <laughs> Bottom line, I was tight, and that was just not enough frugal. She never accused me of being frugal. That's right. She accused
4: me frugal's of good <laughs> tight. Yeah, that's, yeah.
2: But the, the whole idea we had a. Diverse background. We came from diverse, you know, my dad was the typical German, and you didn't do anything unless you could pay cash for it, which I still believe is very important. But the key was, in order for us to build this relationship that's lasted for a lifetime for us, is the fact that it's been a peaceful relationship because we did work to come up with shared values, is what you're talking about. Right. Spending the commitment time, Rob, where you not only just talking about it, but it, there's there's a, a, an appreciation for... Maybe how your spouse thinks, your spouse, Jason, from that standpoint. And we work together to find out how to deal with that.
3: Sure. And many times, uh, one of the individuals in that relationship has never had to personally handle money. Maybe they've gone through their collegiate years or, you know, they're early right out of high school and, and they get married. One usually has had the responsibility growing up to handle money. He or she may have had. Jobs on the side earn money and had to handle and be a good steward of their money, and the other one never did. So, those getting those shared values that Jason mentioned are important so that you can understand how we're going to handle the money for our family.
2: Well, that's great. Finding out what the common ground is and making sure you're moving on. So, let's start with that. Start with communication, start with looking for shared values. The common ground, it's hard work, needs to be a commitment on both partners. Jason, let me ask you this. We talked a little bit about transparency. What about the idea when the one spouse begins to just back off and withdraw into a corner and practices this whole idea of silence where they don't want to do the confrontation?
4: Well, I think a lot of that starts with some of the anxiety they've built up in their own head. The money is this big conversation to have. If we start having this conversation, then it's going to create an argument. And so therefore, I'm just not going to talk about it. And I've seen in my office when we have couples that come in and one of them has decided to either in the vein of I'm going to protect you, so I'm not going to talk about money or one and I may want to do something different, so I'm not going to talk about it. There's a tension there. And once they start communicating, they find that a lot of walls start to break down immediately and it's liberating. And they really find out that they kind of believe the same thing. They just weren't talking about weren't it. Talking about
2: it, you know, uh, Rob. You mentioned one time we were discussing this that this can this code of silence can pass down from generation to generation. Talk about that. That's hard for me to understand. But if they didn't see it being talked about in home when they were a kid, it doesn't happen. And when they're adults and married, and uh,
3: your example was great about you and your wife in uh, in your in early years. You squeeze in a nickel till the buffalo sat down, right? Yep. And that can make a person I still got those buffalos okay, well, one of those, those
2: little guys are well, that, can a, that can make that can make that other
3: person feel like you know I, I just don't want to say anything about this and so I know in our family uh, my background was I was always given the responsibility to handle finance and my wife in her case while her mother was a uh, an accountant she handled the finance but there was never any conversation before so generationally, she had not seen conversation happen where in my household, it was a common thing to talk about. How does we handle dad's paycheck when it when he comes home?
2: Well, I know breaking down the money silence is not easy. In fact, our survey said that conversations about managing debt, just debt, that 34% of the people surveyed said absolutely one of the most difficult things. Just budget and spending hits that number around 30 to 35%. Just, you know, just don't want to do it. Just will do anything to avoid it. And we're saying, number one, you need to understand that it's hard work, the commitment of both partners. Do something about it. Do some talking. But don't get into this point where you practice this money silence. Work to talk about it. Step forward. And I understand that's difficult. Now, let me ask you guys this. If I am a spouse listening to the program, what would you suggest— that's hard. That may be something I can't do. I don't want to confront my spouse about this, or I don't want to say that I've done. I've done the best. How would you encourage them to take that step forward? I mean, don't don't just say they got to do it. Give me some examples of what to do. Sure, and that ends up being uh, where you're you're seeking
3: to be very transparent with each other. And I think for one spouse to be transparent helps lead the other spouse to come around and say, you know, there are some things I I need to talk to you about. And you have to be prepared, whichever one you are, if you're the one that's receiving information about something that's maybe been hidden. Uh, I I, like you, Jim. I I remember uh, a client happened to uh, uh, get credit cards in the mail and use the credit cards without telling the other spouse that the credit cards had been maxed out. So that whole conversation had to be handled very gently. You
2: know, it says in our survey, 80% of spouses that handled, you know, something about this whole idea that they had hid a spouse. You're talking about they had hidden some kind of a purchase mm-hmm. from their partner. And you think about that. 80% said, oh, I bought this, but I didn't want my partner to know. And, and Jason, I know that's a, that's a motivator. I understand that to avoid a fight, right? You I'm know, gonna so avoid. I, I'm going to yeah. avoid it. Uh, you know, so but you and I both know that's going to surface at some point. It's fight so, or flight. Also, yeah,
4: yeah. I, I mean, I've I've uh, been in conversations. I've been in a situation where, hey, to protect my spouse, I'm going to just handle this. It may not even be that they've gone and. You know, purchased a lot, lar- made a large purchase, but they've just, I'm going to handle something in my finances and not really communicate with, with my wife out of protection. And it's like one of those movies you've seen where you've watched the movie and it's like, how is this person making that decision over and over? You know, this is going to be worse if they don't just come out and deal with it. And, and, uh, and it usually is. If when you have, uh, secrets, especially around finances, then once that surfaces, it's a whole lot worse than if you had talked about it.
2: You know, that, you right? say that, and I think that's critical, because bottom line is the same problem, financial problem, will surface again and again and again. And for those of you listening, the bottom line is engaging in a real financial conflict where you've got to sit down. Now, I'm not talking about throwing things. I'm talking about well, you are having to sit down. My wife and I've done it. We used to take off, and we would used to go every January up to a – a place up in Missouri that we could go and when the kids got old enough to swim they had an indoor pool put them in the pool we could work through our finances together and honestly i can remember some of those conversations not always being the best conversations in the world because she might want to do this and i but it was conversations it was legitimate conversations working toward the same goal same goal, goal and then, you know that we understand that having a conversation about a financial conflict from time to time is a healthy Statement, healthy it, part of marriage. And it, it increases that intimacy, I think, that says we're working on this. You said it. We're working on this together. It
4: gives your spouse an opportunity to show their love. Right, like we think, you know, I think it it empowers your spouse. I mean, at least in my wife, when I've actually confronted the issue, it gives her an opportunity to show her love for me, and they're like, "Hey, we're in this together. We'll we'll figure it out."
2: Well, if you just tuned in, we're talking about money and marriage. I mean, it's a robust discussion. Can you tell? We got some guys. Here. Well, you know, we should have had a lady or two in here. But we would have been outnumbered if we had. That's true. Yeah. That would have been a, a real problem. They're the real Actually, CEOs. A, the the and lady CEOs. was going to be, but she couldn't be here this morning. But the reality is money and marriage is what we're talking about. Jason Harrington and Rob Clement. And we're going to continue our conversation because we want you to know that we're trying to guide some things that we see as problems in marriage, but how they're to work, be worked through. When we look at the idea of the cause of divorce for millennials, They say it's money 24% of the time, 24% of the time money is a cause for divorce. And those that are 45 to 64, it's 20%. I'm going to talk about the baby boomers later. We'll come back and give you that number later. But, you know, these problems, they surface over and over, but we're trying to talk about. Let me give you an example. I'll just tell you what I talked about going up to Missouri my wife and I had gotten married, and you know we we were young and had zero money. Okay, you know what I'm saying? No money. So we was fortunate. You had a to, nickel. Well, that's right. <laughs> yeah, at least a I nickel. Get, I got, I got a couple of nickels. <laughs> but you know, we 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 were you know going, and I was going to pay on things on a cash basis. I wasn't going to go into debt. And so I we had a bedroom uh, furniture that was her bedroom. That All she right. had brought you know, her mom and dad said, "Well, you just take this with you." So, now, guys, I'll be honest with you: a canopy bed, white and with pink flowers, was not my idea no. of the kind of bedroom that I thought would be good. You know what well, I'm saying? I get so, it. so we got to Missouri one time, and she says, "Here's what I would like to do with the furniture for the you know." And she had pictures and everything else and cost. Now she knew that I was going to be the logic, strategic thought. You know, go through this. So she just laid it out, picture pages, you know, and had it pasted and posted on the wow. things. I mean, and I said, well, that's great. You know, and she said, well, if we get to this point, we can buy it. Same as cash. I said, okay, done. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? She listened.
0: She I, knew I how to speak great, your language. I had a
2: great wife. Yes. You know, she knew exactly how to speak my language because it, I couldn't have told you what it was going to do, what it was going to call, But she knew. And so we worked through there. It was really a good conversation. And It worked. We got you got furniture. the new furniture. But she was motivating, too. Anything to get rid of the white and right the pink okay. flowers.
3: That was the bottom line. Well, what uh, what you're really saying uh, out of management books, what she did was she read a management book oh, yeah, on how must... to manage up, <laughs> and you fell right into I that. fell right into it.
2: <laughs> but, you know, we're talking about basic, fundamental... Issues with money and marriage, we've talked about that we think love conquers all, that you just get married and everything's going to be fine. All three of us know that's not the case, that you it is hard work. It takes a commitment on both parties. And then the reality, you got to be able to talk about money. And it's got to be something that it's, it's good communication. Don't make it bad communication. And if you've bought stuff that you're hiding from your, you know, your spouse that you don't want him to know or want her to know— It's time to fess up. It's time to fess up. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Let me ask you this question because I hear this a lot. The old idea of waiting to be financially rescued.
3: Yeah, that's a a tough situation.
2: I'm going to win the lottery. Yeah,
3: yeah. And what happens so often with people is that uh, when they do think they're going to be financially rescued, uh, let's just face it. As we go through life, events happen. And they're not necessarily always good events. They can be bad events. It can be as severe as a a partner having some type of illness or cancer or so. And maybe that particular partner was the one that handled the finances. So there is a need to to get each one educated on where everything is within their family budget and how and where the cash is flowing to. So, yeah, I mean, uh, being Rescued is always a key situation to to be able to help each other out.
2: What about? I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's come back. Let's take a break. But I want to talk about what the issue is when you have that person who is the widow or the divorcee. How do you help that person know? what to do about their finances. I think that's a question that a lot of our listeners want to find out about, know about you know somebody or you're going through that experience now. You guys are professionals. I want to find out how. what do we help them with? What are those things that when you're abruptly going through something, how do you know what you need to be doing? And I want you to give us that straight back when we come back. You just tuned in. My guest, we're talking about money and marriage, Rob Clement, Jason Harrington. We're going through some very basics. A lot of it's about communication. A lot of it's just about being intimate with your spouse and saying, hey, here's what's going on. That's not always easy. So they're giving us some great suggestions and some great insight in how to communicate money and marriage. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
1: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk
0: Money after this. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation.
1: And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, we're talking about money and marriage. My guest, Jason Harrington, Rob Clement. It's a hot subject, I guess you might say, because uh, from what I have been able to discover, a lot of people, in fact, I told you, cause a divorce in reality. Millennials, about 24% of the time. You know, for those between 45 and 64, 20% of the time. Baby boomers. You know, I wonder, could you guess, guys? I mean, you know, if I put you—I'm not going to hold you out there. Greg's over there chomping at the bit to guess. I know he is. Bottom line is— for those sixty-five and older, we are the lowest—only eighteen percent. So, we, by the way, if you're over a sixty-five and you've stayed married that long, yeah, forget uh, it. You, you don't fight about anything. <laughs> anymore, I, right? I just did
3: some quick math of the three of us that have been married, I, and we go over a hundred years yeah. between the three of us. So. Yeah.
2: So we made it that long. The bottom line is, I know I'm not who, a baby boomer. Know Let's just run- make that clear to the <laughs> listeners. I am not a baby boomer. I hear you. Uh, but you know, I know in my house, I know who runs the house. I don't have to worry about it. You know? I think that's what I think that's why <laughs> you know, Finally, figure out you your role and yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But guys, here's the problem. And Rob, I want to lead with this question because I know, you know, we talked about waiting to be financially rescued. I know what happens in a lot of marriages. And I've seen this over years in my practice where husband and wife get married and one of them, and by the way, this is definitely generic neutral. You can say, I was giving you the example at the break, that I've got a 78-year-old husband been married for over 50 years to a beautiful lady, his spouse, and she manages the money. He wouldn't know anything about finances. Now, he's expecting it to always be that way. I've, I've coached, I've pleaded, children have coached and pleaded, and it's just not in his DNA. He says, I don't want to care. I don't care. But she went through a serious illness a couple of years ago, kind of woke him up, mm-hmm. you know, and he got kind of serious mm-hmm. for about 30 days. She got better, she's home, she's doing great, it's back to normal again. He's just, and so that happens what do you? What, how do you coach people, Rob, in your practice where you're talking about they're waiting, they think it's all done, and they don't have to worry about it, and then the death or a divorce occurs? What happens?
3: Yeah, I try to make it uh, very basic. Uh, I, I usually start with the three S's. And, uh, and the first S is that, hey, we spend. We all spend. We have to spend for light, gas, and water. Uh, we have to spend for all kind of things like food. So I start with that, just getting... It out on the table that if I'm dealing with a recently widow or widower, uh, I start with, okay, how has our spending been? And maybe they're like the example you gave, Jim. Maybe they don't know how the spending's been. So then I share, share with them that we need to get a baseline on it. So after spending, then we talk about saving, the second S. So you spend and then you save. And why do I save? And we explain why that is. Why do we want to build a safety net? so that our cash flow can be at least three months' worth of living expenses back for them. And then the last thing as an individual, uh, I ask them because a lot of times with particularly a passing of a spouse, you begin to to draw inwardly sometimes. Some people go outside and have somebody they can contact or talk with, but just to share with me, to, to just begin a dialogue of what's on your mind, what's on your heart. And going back to what uh, we've said earlier, what do you want to have? What do you want to do? What do you want to be in life right now? So it's the spend, share, and save mentality is really the just three S's to keep it simple.
2: Well, I think you're. This critical whether it's a widow or a child. A... The divorce. You made that very very simple because a lot of times they're overwhelmed right. with this either grief or from if are or the uncertainty of what to do and how to pay the bills and how to you know sustain. And so they you said it withdraw sometimes and that can be very dangerous because they can get themselves financially into trub- trouble uh, rather quickly if they're not careful. And so I think that's important. So you don't wait for the tragedy to strike. I heard that. You said that was you know advisable. Don't wait for that. Start doing the three S's that you talked about and take on that adult responsibility with your money and do it now. Now, I appreciate what you said. You said I heard it and I'm not putting your words in your mouth, but you kinda of leaned into that last part where you're you're spending, you're saving, and then you're sharing is that a counselor? Is that stepping outside of the nine dots in your mind? Do, you know, do they do they seek wise counsel? The Bible tells us very specifically to seek wise counsel. Is that what you're talking about, Rob?
3: Well, I think when people come to my office, they expect some type of wisdom to come from me. And that's what I, uh, I try to point to, is uh, where I've seen people that have made wise decisions, and most often it comes through the fact that they haven't done what you've shared about withdrawing uh, and there's some that naturally would be more silent but the more you can talk it out and more you can find wise counsel, the better off you are and uh, and I I find that uh, getting folks to talk is that many times uh, there's very few uh, very many times I should say that we end up talking about things that aren't financial that's more of life that's happened and what the future is going to be like for that individual, and then we'll springboard into more of the three S's about how do we spend and how do we save, and then, you know, what else do we
2: need to share? You know, that's a you're talking about something I think is so critical because, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to ask you, Jason, as you go to this, one of the thoughts I had that some families have struggles, we talked about this, families and finances, and it's no, we talked about individuals, but now I'm talking about families. And a second marriage can cause a serious, serious problem. In fact, it can really say, well, you know, across generations, all of a sudden you got adult children that worry about their inheritance, that it's going to get, go away if their mom or dad remarries and he or she is going to get all the money. And, and so now you got that dynamic. So, Rob, you're saying wise counsel, good wise counsel. So, Jason, I want you to help us because now I want to cut kind us. Of Change paces a little bit and talk about this value proposition and questions that you ask a financial advisor, uh, uh, the wise counsel. Now, wise counsel can come from many sources, but the reality is a professional, a person that's doing it every day, is that sometimes we say that's the person who may start the counseling and then seek the pastoral counseling or other counseling that comes along with it's a death or something. But you got all these dynamics going, all this hustle and bustle. What's the first thing that you look at when you say from wise counsel you should get this?
4: I think I think one of the very first things, first steps to any to getting your financial house in order is to being organized. And the organization process can be a little daunting for you. It can be overwhelming. You hear language in financial planning firms all across the state uh, about, we're going to send you home with some homework, uh, and we're going to ask you to put together all of these documents that most people don't open their statements every month, or they don't have this elaborate organizational file. And so that feels like, a big process. And I think a good financial advisor will go through that process with you and get, just tell you to bring your box in and bring all your stuff in and we'll go through this together uh, and help you get organized. Make sure that we have a good inventory of everything that you have going on um, and start at this kind of macro level of are all your accounts, even something as simply as the names are the same. I mean, you'll see people that go, that will go through name inter- iterations throughout their life. They'll be Ben, they'll be Benjamin, they'll be Chris and Christopher, or they'll have a different middle initial because that was, you know, what they did in their 20s. And they've changed that in their 30s and 40s. And so just taking some time to lay all of the pieces of the puzzle out with the right people in the room, and make sure that you have a good inventory of what's happening in your family.
2: Most of the time is that if you start there, I mean, let's talk about this, because I can see like, listening to my listening audience that would say, all right, I, I can't do that. I can't afford to go out there. Most advisors will do that for free. Yeah, that's they, part they're of They're just simply trying to – they want to know. Right. What we, can't, we
4: can't help if we don't, if we don't know. Um, and I think a good advisor – uh, out there is going to have some transparency around that. I had the question in my office the other day. It's like, hey, a, a friend of mine needs to come see you and ask some questions. I think a good advisor is going to take that first organizational step, uh, you know, and not charge anything for that. That's just part of getting to know your prospective client.
2: Okay, that makes sense. So this is more of a discovery. Yes. What are we working through? But it's helping them, both you said the micro and the macro level of looking at what, I know from my perspective, I think that is so critical because a lot of times, and I'm thinking back of this couple that I was mentioning earlier, who's the, the, the man and the woman where the woman really handles all the finances. If something happened to him, she might say it's the top drawer, right? That's the, right. You know, in the bedroom, and and he go in there, but he doesn't know what he's got. Well, and I think
4: people that who have a, a dominant spouse who quote unquote kind of handles the bills or the finances, they don't even realize how daunting of a task that is. I mean, we have money that appears for events in our family and my family that my wife is the queen of squirreling away for something that's going to happen 13 months down the road. And for people who know me, know that my brain is thinking about 13 minutes I'm from now. To,
2: I'm trying to get this picture, save and spend. Yes, and spend. I mean, I got yeah. it. so
4: she's, so if, if something were to happen to her, then my kids, you know, might not have a Christmas present or, you know, I mean, th- you know, camp money's not going to be there. I mean, she just... Uh, it takes us having conversations for me to know the right drawer and where, you know, she keeps certain things. And same for me. I have areas of our finances that I particularly handle, right? That I need to communicate with her. And so getting that on the table um, will eliminate some of that confusion if something were to happen to her. And for older listeners, having a, a responsible child in there or all your children in there, because if something were to happen, then the uh, surviving spouse is going to be going through grief and they need to be able to go through grief Well, you have mentioned that
2: there. i know is is the health you know problems inclined you know continues to increase you see also coming in is the, the children if there's children available a lot of times there's not available or they're not here very difficult uh, we had some people in the office recently where they were working in a Spouse, we'd been planning this, and the spouse flew in from Hawaii. I mean, the child flew in from Hawaii. They, they, that's where their domicile now live there. And it was just fortunate we tied it all together. But it was a major change and major issues that had to be taken care of. And I needed the family there. It just wasn't something to, okay, let's do it. But, you know, it, I needed And we were able to work that out. But it's pulling people together, getting organized. And that's the first thing that you're saying is important. From a financial advisor to assist a client. And in in most cases, the first initial interview, seeing what it is, is a free time.
4: And it gives, it goes back to something Rob said earlier about, you know, communication, transparency, and breaking down some of those communication walls. Once you start to lay things out, the conversation just starts kind of happening like, what's that? And, you know, tell me more about this. And uh, that can help facilitate some of those conversations in a marriage.
2: Well, we're talking about some value propositions of a good financial planner and what to do with that and how to work through that process. And the reality is from money and marriage where it's communication, it's also communication with your financial advisor. It's it's working together. All of this is about communicating, about being transparent, about seeking to serve and to get the job done on behalf of the client, Rob, you talk about accountability a lot. I know that's a part of a value proposition. Explain when we use the term accountability.
3: Absolutely, the uh, uh, the word itself uh, just strikes most people with fear, and it's like, why would I want to be accountable to somebody that's not a family member or someone that I love dearly, and that accountability is where we sit down and we help people prioritize. A good financial professional is gonna help you prioritize what's going on. So he takes what you've got, or she takes what you've got, and they help you and show you, uh, perhaps you've not been aware, maybe it's a situation like you've given Jim of a family member that's passed away, and now you've been handled this bundle of things, and you're trying to say, well, what? why do I need this in, in our family? And so that accountability is to help them make sure they don't make a rash decision that ends up selling something that they may need or buying something that they don't need. So, uh, And I've used this before about the five Ps. Proper planning prevents poor performance. That's good. So the more that we sit with people and help them say, let's stop and think about this. Let's plan properly so we won't have poor performance on it.
4: That's good. And guys, let's think about this. We have... We have accountability in so many areas of our life that we willingly seek out. I mean, we have personal trainers. We have apps on our phone that remind my sister gave me a watch that tells me when to stand up. I get, you know, twenty calls about my oil change. But when it comes I to I have your,
2: on my truck, you know, when I'm driving and I slip over into the white thing, yes, it tells you me. It, it tells us to get truck, back yeah. on yeah, to get
4: back on track. And uh when it comes to our finances, there's a tendency to be a little resistant to that because it is a bit of a private private manner and it a matter and it is uh, sensitive. But we, we look when you're looking for goal setting Sometimes our financial goals are way off in the future, so getting a, a good accountability partner to build some short-term milestones to help you check in on those, like an oil change or like your your lane detection. You know, I never catch to do. Oh that yeah, I'm now, not, you yeah, know,
2: I'm I sure. even have one that comes. and said, "Time to go, take a rest, get a cup of coffee." Yes, I you know, like that boom, one. And I'm going. You know, and oh, I when hit you're that. driving. Yes, yeah. I've seen that. You've been yeah. on the road too long. Oh, it says, yeah, stretch a, your legs. No, you don't have to be on the road very long. <laughs> oh, it does okay. you could just get over to that line a couple of times. Oh, and Oh, I see. You must be getting tired. But accountability is sometimes, as you said, it's difficult. Uh, But it is important because we're talking about really helping you, and you said it, Rob, prioritizing your goals and then make sure that you're getting the progress towards what you're trying to do. I like the word objectivity because I think I can get so opinionated about something, so into it, and I'd like to have someone to say, step back a little, Jim. Maybe this is not what you— that's objectivity. Help right.
4: When we talked about this earlier in the show where some of these beliefs we have have been passed down for generations and generations and we get focused in on this is how it should be. And, you know, financial decisions are always this, you know, tender balance between an emotional response and math, mm. you know, and analytics. And um, neither one should really, uh, you know, overpower the other. But that emotional piece can. And sometimes you can let the emotional decision making, uh, you know, be a little more weight than what good math or good uh, uh, analysis uh, or good sound financial principles. And and an objective person sitting in on the outside can say, let's back away from the emotion for a second. And let's look at this practically.
2: Well, I think that's critical because we've talked about being organized, get looking at everything being from a macro and a micro standpoint, accountability, objectivity. When we come back, I want you to help us with this volatility that's going on. To me, a financial advisor, should, when you talk about objectivity, should be able to guide me through all the noise that's going on. And I need some insight, and I think our listeners do, some things about what I mean just level-headedness. You know, not getting caught up in the emotion. So that's what we're talking about when we come back. Some of these thoughts about a level-headed person in a volatile market. Do you? How do you do that? Well, you think it's easy, but sometimes it really is difficult. Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
1: Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
0: Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither asset allocation nor diversification guarantee against loss. They are methods used to manage risk. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment and insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan, and you are under no obligation to follow them. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index.
1: And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Well, we're talking with Jason Harrington and Rob Clement. We've been talking about strategies around money and marriage, communication, being transparent. Hey, if you bought something uh, that—and 80% of the people that we surveyed said, yes, they had the Fidelity surveyed, but they had bought something and had not told their spouse about it. So if you're one of those, be transparent. You know, maybe you got to step in there and have some hard, intimate financial conversation. And that's always healthy for any marriage to be open and honest with each other. And the reality is, we're going to talk about some strategies for volatile markets. Now, speaking of volatility, I need to acknowledge that, Jason, you have two volatile, never, no, not volatile. <laughs> no, but they're 18 years old and they're freshmen in college. And today. They turn twins, 19 today. 19, dear. Twins, old today, twin twins, girls.
4: Twins, born, Emma and Claire. Emma and Claire, born. February 12, 2001, one at 1018 and the other one at 1020. So, the one at 1018 definitely lets people know she is the is first, first one. one. Yes.
2: Emma and Claire, well, tell them we're wishing <laughs> them a happy birthday today. I'd say we ought to sing a trio and sing them a happy birthday, but I don't
4: think so. They're college kids. The, the likelihood that they're awake at this yes, time slim is and slim. None. yes.
2: I hear you. So, guys, let's talk about this because I know our listening audience is always concerned about what's going on geopolitically and the coronavirus It's always making news. That's always an issue. So how does a value proposition from a virus? standpoint what what happens where does that context come in jason when you're talking about the advice of an advisor and all this volatility
4: well i think one of the the hardest things to do is is to ignore the noise out there um one of the you know you gotta turn the radio off turn the tv off you know it's it's almost like uh, if you have a sniffle and you go to web md you know next thing you know you you never know what you may find that you might have right. if you look on the on the internet and i think with finances it's the same way you have to have uh the ability to back away from some of that noise and think big picture
3: rob i was recently visiting with a friend of mine uh successfully worked for a company and uh and retired and he invited us over to his house and our wives had gone and uh first thing out of bed that First morning we were there, he beat me down and he had all the uh, the news networks on and, you know, a couple of TVs and it looked like it was like the uh, the president looking at all these channels. And And I approached him, I said, why are you doing this to yourself? He says, "I'm you know, I'm recently retired and I need to keep up with all the stuff that's going on in the world. So Jason hit the nail right on the head. There are just a reason that we're there is to tell people, turn them off. Don't get involved with that. Know what's going on, but don't fill yourself day to day with all that emotion.
2: Staying focused on the big picture. Big picture. That's what you're talking about yeah. there. So, what about emotions, Jason? What about emotions?
4: Well, it, I, I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of your decision making is a balance between how you feel emotionally about it and how you. Uh, do the math and the analysis behind it um, and emotions, especially in volatile times. I mean, there's probably not been a decade or or a combination of two decades. There hasn't been something. You know, you go back and look at the uh, S&P 500's performance, you know, since 1928 is nine and a half percent. And that includes all kinds of geopolitical social events War, li- wars. wars I mean um, so the fact of the matter is that short term yeah it's an emotional time it, it the market does move but if you can focus on the fact that your time horizon is much greater than just what's happening in the moment you fare better
2: well bottom line is past performance does not That's right. indicate future performance but you're right. I understand what you're saying, but I want to make sure I get that in, that past performance is never an indication of future performance. The reality is stressful investing happens when the market's volatile. Stay the course, be flexible, and always look at the how do you manage this as you're talking about seeking the advice, the value proposition. Summarize that for me, Jason. What do you mean value proposition for an advisor?
4: Well, I think a good advisor is going to bring value to a client by helping them get organized and get everybody on the same page, holding them accountable, being their partner, being their their guide, um, and then having some objectivity and helping them through the emotional moments of life change.
2: Rob, money and marriage. Spend less than you make,
3: put money back for rainy days, and practice the three S's. Save, spend, and share.
2: Save, spend, and share. Boy, those are valuable, valuable types of things that we should always talk about. And the reality is, guys, I appreciate so much you being here with me this morning and helping us through some of the things we've been talking about, which is excellent. And I, reality is, it's always fun to have you part of the day's program. We've enjoyed it, and uh, I want to make sure that you know that you can always find us on Facebook. Or if you got a question for Talk Money, send it to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. If you want to talk with these guys, Rob and. What's your Jason, name? Jason. Jason. Good to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Rob and Jason, you can always call him at 757-575. I've got a very a difficult name. <laughs> very uh, difficult Emma name. Emma and Claire, happy, happy birthday, birthday to you guys. And they're, they're precious, precious young ladies, and they're just beautiful, good girls, and I so much wanted to say that to them. Hey, guys, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money.
0: Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and Content Coordination, Francis Fortner. Production Assistant Eleanor Moskowitz. Compliance Officer Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker Rob Clement and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., Securities Dealer, Member FNIRA, SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
4: Come on. All-